Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Well, I had a great conversation with Jack this week, and I broke it up into two episodes, and you're going to be listening to the first episode. Since 1969, Sailrite has been equipping you with everything you need to sew for your boat, from biminis and boat covers to upholstery work and even sewing your own sails. Sailrite is your one-stop shop for fabric, sail and canvas kits, tools, hardware, and sewing supplies. Sailrite is also the maker of the patented Ultrafeed sewing machine, a portable heavy-duty machine that can handle all the sewing jobs for your boat and more. A passionate crew of DIYers, Sailrite produces high-quality, free how-to videos to empower their customers to turn their sewing dreams into a reality. Uh, Today, this is Jack Andrews, my friend who became a friend as a result of this podcast and ended up sailing with me and then buying his own boat and taking his family (laughs) sailing on adventures in the Mediterranean. It's always good to talk with Jack. It's basically me and a friend catching up on what's been going on. Well, I'm here at the ranch, and let me tell you, I am so fed up with snow. Every time I come up here, I spend two to three hours blowing snow. And as I'm looking out the window at the studio at the ranch, uh, it's turning into a blue sky day today, but yesterday it was mostly overcast with snow coming down lightly, but still coming down. We've got snow up to (laughs) the eaves on the north side of the house. Uh, If you look at the house from the outside, uh, you you really can't even see the first floor windows on the north side. On the uh, east side, you can but it's nonstop snow this year, which is great for skiing. But the unfortunate thing is after I've spent two hours snow plowing, I don't have time to run to the ski resorts and go skiing. So my skiing this year has been marginal uh, or minimal, I should say, not marginal, minimal. Hey, I've got a suggestion for you. If you've written me emails and I've never responded to them on this podcast, please send them in to me again. I started going through some of my past emails And some of them I don't know that I responded to. So if you wrote me a question and I did not respond to it, either by returning your email or responding to it on this podcast, probably it just got lost. I have uh, a lot of things I try to keep in the air, A uh, a lot of balls in the air, and this is one of them, and sometimes things just slip by me. I do have a new patron. I want to thank him, Joe Richardson. Joe uh, became a patron, and I wrote him an email, and I said, well, tell me a little bit about yourself, and you also have the right at that level to to suggest a topic for the podcast. And he hasn't, but he did write me back, and he told me that he had wintered this winter in, um, in Montenegro. And so I'm interested in finding out about where he wintered. And if Joe, if you want to come on for a podcast, I'd love to hear your story. It'd be fun to catch up and get to know you through an interview. I looked at wintering in Montenegro last winter, and it was very difficult, number one, to fly into the little airport that they've got in Montenegro. And number two, since it was really hard to fly into that airport, 
to fly into Dubrovnik and then catch a commuter, well, a bus or a cab or something, it was just difficult to make the connections to the marina or the yard, I should say, the yard that I looked at for wintering my boat. So I want to know where you wintered your boat and how the winter went for you. Uh, You wanted to catch up this summer? I will send you my schedule. I've got about half of my schedule finished up, and I'm recording this on March 11th, but it probably won't be released until the end of this month, and you'll probably have that by the time you actually listen to this on on the podcast. All right. That's all I got to say before we get into uh, the advertisement and then straight on into the first part of my interview with Jack Andrews for 2018. All right, I'm back with Jack Andrews reporting from Sicily again. And Jack, it's been a long time since we've talked. I think the last time has been uh, not quite a year, but close to a year. Uh, You and I and Neil tried to do a... Uh, com- somewhere between the time you and I and Neil tried to do a combined interview, we decided it's probably better just to talk one-on-one because there's too much to talk about. But you've been busy and uh, traveling around, and <laughs> yeah. You, before before we started talking, you're telling me about the weather that's been going on down there. Let's let's catch up on that. Yeah, it's it's one of the reasons that um, we have found that well, one of the reasons that Marina de Ragusa is being so good to us because we had a 60 knot blow come through and I'm not sure if um, you had a chance to see much in the way of images from Malta, but it, uh, the weather came in from the northeast and, you know, for Malta, that is a particularly bad direction. Um, And there was an immense borer in Croatia so, so you had a number of boats actually that were on the hard were blown over in Croatia. Um, and in Malta, uh, there was quite a lot of large waves and wind that caused some damage to boats, but more so impressive images of just the waves hitting the shoreline around different parts of Malta. Um, but, you know, it's... It's the least uh, protected area for us as well in Rina de Ragusa, but um, you know there wasn't really any damage except for <laughs> the boat next to us decided to uh, not tie down his headsail and they're not living on board. And um, so myself and a few other guys were uh, fighting to bring his headsail in about 45 knots of wind. And before it intensified to 60 knots um by the time we did bring it in it, it had already shredded along the bottom uh the the guy didn't leave any sheets on the genoa and uh it wasn't really tightly on the furler so wind just caught underneath it ballooned it and then the balloon just started to put extra pressure on uh, at one point in time we thought that's a uh, his rig was going to come down. It was that bad. I mean, the deck was healing over at about 30 degrees with the head sail out because it's tied down, not going anywhere, but sideways. Um, so, yeah, there was definitely uh, a chance that that rig was going to go because simply just because of the vibration. I mean, if it was just, you know, under one force, uh, but this thing was just, you know, moving back and forward in the 45 knots. 
and whipping around. So that was fun. Yeah, I've, um, I've got, I was talking to Andrew Vick oh, last, I think it was last week. And that's going to, I think that podcast will be released in a week or so. But anyway, uh, he was talking about how they've had huge boars up, up where he's at in Troger near Split. Yeah, well, it's the same system. I'm pretty sure it's the same system because it's like been a record borer for, for a while. Yeah, I had uh, in my marina in in uh, the in Dubrovnik, it's a sa- exactly. I had the same huge winds, and it was demolishing my uh, my full cover. And I called the marina up, and I had them take the full cover off and just shove it down below. Otherwise, it was just a big sail on top of the boat. And sure, yeah. So uh, the only reason I did that is I was actually having a marine survey done for insurance purposes. And he called me up and said, listen, you know, your, your, uh, your zippers are gone on your cover. And we had a big wind here last week, and then we're projected to have another one next week. You probably want to get that off. So, yeah, I'm glad he gave me the heads up on it. I didn't have any idea it was getting that bad of weather over there. We're sort of insulated. They, they don't report on weather in Italy and in, in America for some reason. I just don't understand that. Yeah, I know, I know. Well, it's the same thing. It's, it sort of happens. As soon as you're away from the water, or as soon as you turn up into a marina and you're tied up to those four points and you're there for the winter, you sort of go, oh, I can relax now. It just doesn't matter what the weather's doing tomorrow. It's not going to be much of a problem. But, of course, you still do have to have a look at it. You still have to look at it every few days, even if you're not looking at it daily or, you know, half day, every half a day. Um it's still very, very critical for uh, for big blows. But in marinas, at least everybody else knows it's com- it's coming. So even if you do uh, get a little bit lazy and don't look, somebody else will remind you. Uh, and the marinaras walk around and make sure all the lines and so forth are secure and so forth before the, the blow. So I think we're having another one next week, but that's only going to be about 45 knots. Uh, so that's no big deal, and it's from the northwest, so it's a much more protected uh, area for us. But as I said, you know, no damage in the marina, no damage to boats. Um, this is the second 60-knot blow that this marina, uh, or that we've been in this marina for. And again, you know, there's just been, it's pretty solid, pretty secure. And <clears throat> yeah, so that's that's the weather. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, let's identify for our new listeners where you exactly you are. You're in Marina di Ragusa on the south coast of Sicily. That's right. Yeah. If, you, if we sail out of here, we're very central in the Mediterranean to to all parts. Uh, whether you want to go west to go to Spain or the Balearic Islands, or whether you want to go to Sardinia or Corsica, or if you want to head up. To Croatia or Greece, I mean, it's it's pretty dead bang in the middle. Um, it's relatively south uh, in the Med, so we don't have situations of ice and snow and problems like that. Um, and Sicily is exceptionally inexpensive for day-to-day living. Um, it tends to be sort of treated as part of the poorer part of Italy, so therefore, um, you know, costs are relative. So that also helps if you're on a on a liveaboard budget, which a lot of people in the marina are, because you get the different types of cruisers, those that are taking a sabbatical and have a budget to spend, those that are retired and have a pension only to spend, and those in between, sort of, you know, some working from the boats and some that spend time on the boats and are still 
well off living somewhere else at the same time. So, but uh, yeah, the cost of living here is pretty inexpensive. The weather's pretty good. The marina protection is pretty good. And uh, the cost of the marina is inexpensive as well. What, what do you pay? What do you pay for the winter mooring for your boat? All right, so we're um, forty-six feet overall, which is what we get charged on, and that costs us one thousand nine hundred euro uh, for seven months. Plus, we um, pay about one hundred and twenty-five for power and water for the seven months. So, if you look. That's about 330 euro a month, including power and water, which is pretty cheap rent. Yeah. So now how many boats in your, and I'm looking at this, the, uh, the marina right now, and it doesn't look to me like you would really be prone to any real surge unless the wind was blowing directly from the, uh, from the east. It might, and you don't have that much fetch even if it is blowing from the east in that marina. Correct. There's, there is no surge. Yeah. First of all, how full is it this winter? Do you have a nice community? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, to give you an example, there's 12 boats from this marina that are leaving to cross the Atlantic this year. Um, there's, I think there was about 60 people here throughout Christmas and New Year's, not that we were, um, but that's what I heard. Um and when everybody is around and it's sort of the busy period, which is, you know, shortly straight or straight after the end of the season or at the beginning of the new season, summer season, sailing season, um, I think you, you probably have about 180 people here that are non-locals, meaning, you know, expats um, and quite a few different countries represented in that. So I'm looking at the marina. Where are you located? How far out on the dock are you this year? Ah, uh, we're um, we're at twenty position twenty four on L dock, which is um, a little bit more protected than M dock is. M dock's right on the end. It's the long dock on the end. All right. So as you come into the entrance of the marina, the first dock that you'll be approaching—that's the long dock. Um, that's on the long dock is M and we're on the next one along. Oh, so you're way in there then. Yep. Okay. Okay. That's great. So you don't have to walk so far to get to shore then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that is, that is one issue that you have. Um, and mind you, you know, we, we are pretty lazy in the sense that we don't spend all winter on the boat. We do, um, we do travel, abroad so we head over to ireland we had christmas in ireland and a few weeks there uh followed by going skiing in canada luckily this year so that was a lot of fun yeah you never responded uh, you sent me a picture of you on skis and i said where and you never responded so i didn't know where you were so i was kind of curious I, that right? uh, sorry i thought i did so let me ask you a question on how many of the boats in the marina are live aboard versus just put their boat there and park it and go away for the winter. Do, do, do many people do that? Because that's what I would have to do because it's not really a hard-standing marina. Yeah, look, it's not a hard-stand marina. It's it's more for liverboards or people that are semi-liverboard, meaning that, you know, they, they might be in the UK and they'll come down every few weeks and spend a week on their boat um, just away from the really colder weather in the UK or 
or just to to get away from it. So there's quite a few people that do that. But I would say a third of the people here are full-time liverboards. A third of them would be semi-liverboards. So two-thirds of the marina is full of boats that turn up just for the winter and, uh, you know, are effectively the expat liverboard community. It is one of the larger communities around that's in the water. I mean, um, there's a few others around the place, but this would be one of the largest, if yeah. not the largest. If you flew there, where would you fly into and how hard is it to get to and from the airport? Um, winter car hire rates out of Catania are really inexpensive. Um, you know, some of the cars that people are hiring on special deals, if they if they look at it the right time, <clears throat> was something on the order of 120 euros for two weeks or thereabouts. Or actually, it was 120 for two. No, it was 120 for 28 days, as low as that. Oh, um, okay. But it sort of averages out to say eight dollars a day. So you can have a rental car for quite a reasonable period of time, which gives you a lot of access to, to doing things, not only on the boat, but because, you know, heading off to hardware stores or, you know, whatever the story is, touring around the place, driving to and from the airport, picking friends up. Um, that's pretty easy. And that's out of Catania. Catania, I think you've been to Catania, haven't you? Oh, yeah. I, li I It was a really neat town, too. I really enjoyed it, it after I found the good part of town. I yeah, I think really I think cool. that's what you do have to find. Yeah, Catania can be a bit. Um, there's a good part and maybe not such a good part. Yeah, the f the first time I went to Catania, I was actually Jack dropping off a, a crew member, and he was flying out of Catania. At least I, that's how I pronounce it, Catania. And we pulled into the harbor there, and we were hungry, so we got off the boat and walked out. And it was really a sketchy neighborhood. We went and found something to eat and. Then uh, he flew out the next day. The next, and then that next day, I started exploring the town. If I'd just gone left down the harbor and came into the sort of the center where they have all the markets, and I said, "Wow, that was a fun part of town, gorgeous part of town, beautiful part of town." But right by the marina, walking out the end of the marina was not the right direction to be going. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, and of course you have Mount Etna there, um, so it dominates the place. Yeah. Yeah, well, let's but, catch, uh, let's catch up on where you've been um, since I talked to you last time. I think last year you you sailed on down to t Tunisia. Yeah, uh, I think in that podcast that was, and I don't think it was a year ago. I think it was just before the Christmas time because it must have been when we finished sailing, came in here, and it was between us ending our season and us flying out for Christmas to Ireland. So it would have been four or Four months ago, I think. Okay, but you've traveled Something a lot. Like that. Where, where did you end up traveling in general so last we, summer then? So, right, so we, I think we, we mentioned some of this in that previous podcast, but we went from uh, Marina de Ragusa straight down, straight south to Malta. And in Malta, we, we had a number of uh, days there before we ended up going on the hard um, to get some work done. And in a way, this year we're repeating the same thing. So, I'm not sure if we covered Malta, but um, we, we. I know you, know you and I. I know you and I talked on the phone about Malta, but I'm not sure that we really covered it in the podcast because I know you were 
sort of, or we may have. That's the problem with. Yeah, no, we did. Okay. We did. We, did. Okay. we covered it on the podcast. Yeah, this is the thing about having it a while ago. <laughs> and uh, and then we talked about going to Tunisia and the fact that we went there during Ramadan, and uh, and that was a bit awkward. Uh, and we covered that on the podcast as well. So yeah, so after Tunisia, we went to Sardinia, and I must say that Sardinia was awesome. Um, I th- we may have touched on it as well on that last podcast, but if we kick off from Sardinia, well, I know you went up through you hit the uh, the southeast corner of Sardinia. Which way did you go in around Sardinia? Along the east coast or along the west coast? We went along the east coast simply because the prevailing winds. Um, you know, get, you have protection from the prevailing winds on that coast. And we also wanted to go up to the northeast corner, which is pretty much, the, if you look at one region in Sardinia that's probably most active and most protected and has the most number of anchorages, that is it. Yeah, the so, La Madalena so Islands. That's where I sailed mostly in Sardinia. Yeah. Okay. Yes, the Madalena Islands. Madalena, yep. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Um, we arrived in Villa Simeus. Uh, we stayed in Villa Simeus for a little while, just to quickly cover that, which is that um, southeastern corner. Um, there is a wonderful bay there. Uh, just might cover that again. That's right on that tip where you have shelter from either side. So you can, you know, within half an hour, you can just travel around Villa Simeus, around the tip, and you either have a protection from a wind blowing from the west or go on the other side and you got protection from the east. Um, beautiful sandy beaches, fantastic. Highly recommend the place. has very expensive fuel in the marina, though, $2 oh. a litre or €2 Euro a litre. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is, is Sicily reasonably priced on fuel? Uh, diesel's about uh, 160 at the moment in the marina. You can get it for 140 outside the marina. So, yeah, that's sort of has been about that price for a while. Very different to the 80 cents a liter in Tunisia for the good stuff. So, so, so one thing we found in Sardinia was we did a lot of sailing compared to Greece. Um, you know, the drilling grease, particularly in July and the Cyclades, you, you're waiting for the wind to stop blowing. And as soon as it stops blowing, there is no wind. So, so you end up doing far more motoring in Greece in the middle of summer than we did in Sardinia. Sardinia was pretty good because, um, the wind was not too high, but, um, and even when it was, it was, we were protected on the East coast. And we could still sail. There wasn't a lot of fetch for the, for the waves to build up. So even found situations where you had relatively strong wind, but you had no fetch, you had no seas. So the sailing was still pretty good, even in the higher winds. Um, so that was fantastic. Really enjoyed the sailing. It was far more than, than Greece. Love Greece, but uh, just seemed that we were lucky enough to do far more sailing on in Sardinia and Corsica. We also found that almost every beach is a sandy beach in Sardinia. Um, whilst you get, you know, a few beaches that aren't so sandy in, 
in Greece and some some islands that just don't have sandy beaches. I mean, not as bad as obviously Croatia, where there is just like no sand. But uh, yeah, Sardinia was sort of full of sandy white beaches. Um, same with Corsica. So we went to um, from Villa Simius, We we sailed up to Arbatax, and um, I believe I mentioned the fact that we checked in at Arbatax as well. Oh yeah, um, that's right. That's where you finally were able to get somebody to check you in. Then yes, yeah, the guys in Villa Simius were not interested, and when we got to Arbatax, they said, "Oh look, you know, we'll just say that you came straight from Tunisia, if you don't mind." <laughs> that was that was fine with me. Uh, so yeah, we we checked in Arbatax uh, again. Some nice little anchorages in Arbatax, uh, but of course there's a marina there as well. Another one not far north of Arbatax, uh, Santa Maria. Uh, there's a few people that stay during winter there. Not many. I think about five or six boats that we knew about that were there. Um, that's sort of halfway up the coast. And then, of course, all the action really starts to happen in Sardinia when you start getting close to, um, you know, the uh, the north eastern part. Uh, near the Madalena Islands, the Madalena, Madalena Islands themselves are a national park. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you can sail through them, but if you want to stay in anchor overnight, you, you do need to buy a permit. If you do that, do it online because it's 50% discount for a, a sailboat. Um, if you have to buy it or if the ranger comes up and knocks on your hull and asks you for your ticket for, for your permit to stay overnight, then you'll pay full price. Okay. Um, okay. So buy it online. Yeah. Okay. Is it, uh, yeah, limited, yeah. is it uh, limited to a certain number of days and you have to get there on the specific date? Do you put the dates you're going to be there? How, how serious are they about? Because uh, I know in Croatia, if you don't show up on the date you're you're said you're going to show up on, you you're sort of out of luck. Yeah, look, I the people that went to the Madalena Islands sort of like went in there and they pretty much bought the ticket that day and and they were able to buy the next day's ticket that night. Um, it, it wasn't a hassle like it was in Croatia to buy tickets for the national parks. Now, I'm saying this because I've spoken to people that have done it, but we never actually went into the Madalena Island area overnight simply because we were so busy with the rest of the coastline there that we didn't even get a chance Um, to the point that, you know, we're going back to Sardinia this year because we we haven't seen enough of it. Um, There's that much. So so when I was in Sardinia, I, I basically went from the north end down to... Well, I got as far down as Olbia, but really I sort of hung out in that northwest section more than anything else. Was there much to see south of that that you want to go back and see? Um, okay, so Olbia is a great reprovisioning point. Porto San Paolo, which is, you know, sort of the first area. If you come, if you use Olbia as a reference point and you come out of Olbia and you head down uh, you're heading south. Uh, you have Isla Tavolara. Mm-hmm. And isn't it's that a national rock. park too? Is that a national park as well? No. Uh, Tavolara's actually got a restricted area. It's got a, uh, a U.S. Navy submarine communications base on it. 
Um, but the the west end of it is fine. You can anchor there and you can you can go there, but it does have a restricted area around the um, northeastern part of that island. Um, but yeah, so Porto San Paulo, there's coast there that's just fantastic. You know, it's beautiful. Um, I would say south there, all the way down to, uh, I guess, Porto Otilu is probably where it sort of stops becoming sandy and interesting, and it's quite well protected anywhere north of there. Um, we were in Porto San Paulo uh, during about a 35 to 40 knot blow just on anchor without really almost noticing it. It was very good, very protected. And then, of course, as soon as you start heading north, um, you've got plenty of action there from super yachts and so forth. I mean, there is the that famous hotel where um, hotel was it Carla de Volpe where Octopussy was filmed. Oh, is that where that was filmed? Okay. Yeah. And some of those underwater scenes with the car going underwater and so forth that, that was around that area. Um, so, but you know, the super yachts, I mean, there's so many of them around that area, but they all tend to hang around in certain areas because you'll be, you'll look at it and you go, Oh my God, there's like 50 super yachts altogether. And you go around the corner to the next bay and there's none. And, of course, it's it's all about the fact that they need to be seen with each other. You know, they can't have a super yacht in a bay which has got no other super yachts. It just doesn't work. That's what it's all about. Did you go into Porto Cervo and anchor for a day and watch him come in and go out? No, we didn't. Okay, no, we so, didn't. so we, we did. We and were it was, thinking about it. So yeah. we did. Basically, there's an anchorage area that you can still anchor pretty much for free there. And... Uh, and we did, but it gets really, really crowded because, you know, there's a lot of sailboats in there that go on anchor. But we anchored there, and, uh, you know, in the morning, they'd all parade out to go out to their places to go play in the water, and in the evening, they'd all parade back in. <laughs> I mean, it was always they would come in at night and go out in the morning. And uh, and I talked to a crew member on one of these yachts because I, I tried to – that's where I cleared in was in Porto Cervo because it took me – down to there to find the clear into Italy after I'd sailed over. So that was a place that I was able to get the port captain to finally fill out the forms for me. So I was there for a while, and uh, and I talked to some crew members on some of these mega yachts. I said, what's it like? So it's really not that great. You're always working all the time, and you can never really enjoy these places. <laughs> but Yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, did well, I-, I mean, that that's an interesting port. I mean, you see them coming in and out. It's it's pretty amazing. to, And, and the amount of work that... Uh, the, the marina staff do because all they're doing is every day they're coming in or out. It, it's not like they stay there for, for more than a day. No, no. I, uh, did I tell you I had a chance? I, I have a chance to sail across the Atlantic. Yeah, I heard, <laughs> I heard that on the podcast. I don't think yeah, I'll no, do it, but I, but it's still, it's, it would be a different experience. So <laughs> that sounds like uh, a cruise, a real cruise, like to sit back and relax. <laughs> yeah well, it would be fun to get to get to know the crew members I mean they, I, that's what I'd be doing I'd walk around with a recorder and start talking to the crew members because that would be the interesting stuff to talk to them about so. yeah absolutely yeah. so um, 
Yeah, so the um, we didn't. There is a place on Sardinia that we haven't done yet that we'd like to do on this trip. Well, for starters, we'd like to this summer do the west coast of Sardinia if possible. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, there's less protection. There's only a few spots that you can run and hide, so you have to sort of keep a good eye on, on the weather. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but um, there is another group of islands. Um, it's another national park, and it's the the islands that are on the tip of the west coast that sort of sort of point at Corsica. Mm-hmm. The Asinara Islands? Yes, that's the one. Okay. Um, and that is, you know, supposedly it's it's lovely white sand beaches again and, and shallow sandy areas, and and we'd like to check that out. It's a fair decent way from most of that stuff on the northeast coast, but um, worth doing, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, we also went to Bonifacio, three times whilst we were in Corsica because we love that. That's pretty spectacular. Uh, that is a real spectacular spot. Yeah, and just a reminder, if I didn't mention it before, if you go to Bonifacio, well, for starters, you go in there and it's just like a, it. you call them up on the radio and they don't answer you. And, you know, unless you're speaking French, they don't want to talk to you anyway. But even in French, they're not answering anybody because there's a line of boats that almost goes all the way out and you just line up one behind the other. And if you don't have good control of keeping your boat in position whilst you're waiting in line to be shown to a spot to uh, tie up to, then you'll struggle in there. It, it's really, really narrow. It's really busy. Mm-hmm. And if you've got a wind blowing, you know, your boat's moving around at the same time, there's, there's bigger boats coming in. It's a pretty crazy place. But if you want to go there and avoid some of that craziness, then you can just go and uh, pick a spot in the creek. And in the creek, which is just before the marina itself, um, I mean, it's like a two-minute dinghy ride. You're in you're in the Bonifacio Harbour. It's just the fact that you're not tying up to a jetty. So you're dropping, um, you're dropping your anchor and backing into shore, it looks like, if I'm looking at the right spot. Is that right? What, right? Well, if... If you're lucky, because the way they originally started that is they have laid lines going from the wall out to the middle of the creek. Oh, okay. So you tie up onto the stern cleat with the part of the line closest to the wall, and then you use the same line and you tie up your bow cleat by pulling tight on on where it's in the middle of the creek. So that so your your bow is tied up to the middle of the creek and your stern is tied up to the wall, hmm. u- using the same line. So are there buoys and, back there holding up the stern line so you can grab it off the buoy, or do you have to get on shore to get to it? Yeah, then this is where it gets interesting. The best way to do it is to have somebody in a dinghy, <laughs> and um, so if you're towing your dinghy in, you, you get your oldest child, <laughs> stick him in the dinghy. And you tell them what the plan is, and you usually send the middle child with them, so that way they can retrieve the line and they can hold it up to you. And one other person on the boat then picks up the line whilst you're manoeuvring the boat. It is tricky in the sense of if you don't have enough crew members, it can get difficult if it's blowy. If it's not blowy, and most of the time it isn't, because that area is surrounded by high walls, it's quite protected you can get in there. You can just come alongside another boat and then pick up a line. 
right. Yeah, I'm looking at that. And I, I remember anchoring there a long time ago. They didn't have these buoys and lines when I was there the last time, but that was 15 years ago. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, that would be, yeah, that probably would have changed. Yeah, but I did and anchor so, in there, yeah. So the price difference is humongous. I mean, you, you get in the marina, you'll be paying 125 euro and a night, and in the creek, you'll be paying 25. And if you're like some of the French and leave really early, you don't pay anything. <laughs> what about there's a there's that creek and then there's another little bay just around the corner to the east of that one. I don't see anybody anchored in that one in Google Earth. Yes, we didn't see anybody anchored in there at all during the whole time that we were there the three times. So I think it's, I mean, either it's really, really tight, which it is, because we did take the dinghy there and use that little beach with the kids at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that's totally doable, but, uh, we saw one boat in there briefly and that was it. Um, otherwise nobody else anchored and it is a very tight spot. Yeah. And it may be exposed to the, uh, to the weather more than that, uh, the Creek is. So I think that's probably, yeah. cause I'm looking at the wave patterns and you can see quite a few waves in there, but you really don't see it over in the Creek, at least on Google earth that I'm looking at. So did yeah. you go any farther North in Corsica other than Bonifacio? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we did most of the coast a third of the way up Corsica on both sides. Um, we went all the way up to, um, let's see, what's we went to Ajaccio, obviously Napoleon's birthplace. Um, so Ajaccio all the way up to there, and that's as far north on the west coast that we did. And, you know, you would think it's a little bit exposed from the typical weather patterns that come in from, say, the northwest, but we found that when we are on that coast, it was beautiful. Um, we had a few thunderstorms go through, but that's been about it. The, the anchorages were pretty good. They weren't too crowded. Uh, and there's so many that even though some of them might be crowded, there's space in the next one along. Even on the west coast, there's enough anchorages? Yes. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Surprisingly, there is. Huh. Um, so, so that's pretty good. And of course, then you know the east coast is even more protected. Now, now and let me ask you a question on customs. Did you have to clear into Corsica as well as as is Italy when you went there, or did you not bother with that? Okay. So we, the first place that we went to in Corsica was Ajaccio, which is like not a small town, right? It's, right. <laughs> yeah. And we were picking somebody up flying in from the airport and we went to the, into the Ajaccio Marina um, right next to the main uh, harbour for arrival of everything else. And we went into the marina and we, the first question we asked is, you know, where do we check in? And it was another one of those questions, you know, why, why would you want to check in? <laughs> Didn't you just come from Italy? Yeah, we did. But we're Australian registered. Uh, but it's all right. You came from Italy. Okay. <laughs> well, that's uh, that must be unique to Corsica because I'm not sure all of France has that lackadaisical attitude. No, I, uh, no, I would agree. Um, you know, Corsica is a beautiful place to visit, but it's um, in Sardinia you have far more English-speaking people than you have in Corsica. And, um, you know, sometimes the 
the costs are really uh, they're very different like food and other expenses in Corsica are probably two to three times what they are in Sardinia mm, okay. and you can see how close they are <laughs> yeah yeah and uh, yeah as you as you'd expect you know it's very French the food is very the supermarket food is very different in Corsica to what it is in uh, Sardinia um, and the prices are as well so you've hit a lot more of Corsica. All, all I've been to is Bonifacio, and I felt like I was a criminal because I never cleared in. But apparently it's not that big a deal anyway. So. No, it doesn't seem to be. Okay. Yeah. Um, we went diving off this, uh, on the East Coast. I uh, went diving off a wreck not far out of um, Porto Vecchio. Mm-hmm. And we sheltered in a couple of those bays there for, for a while as well. Um saw a few blows, you know, in that first bay north of Porto Vecchio. Um, and this year... A big open yep. horseshoe bay with a little island out, sort of... Uh, that's it, yeah. Yep. Okay, uh-huh. Yeah, so that's that's that one. Um, and there's a you know, little wreck that you can dive not far. It's about a nautical mile outside the entrance. Hmm. Now, did, did did you scuba dive on it or just snorkel on it? Oh uh, no, we went diving. Okay. Do you have a compressor? Do you have a compressor on the boat, Jack? Do you? Um, have... No, we don't. We don't have a compressor on board, so we actually had to fill the tanks. It was easy getting the tanks filled in Sardinia and in Corsica because there's so many touristy dive locations that you can just, you know, take the tank to anybody, any one of those, and just fill them up. Okay, sorry to sorry to interrupt. I was just curious about. No, that. that's right. Yeah, but I was just saying that there on the north tip of Corsica, which I'd like to get to this time around, there is a B seventeen lying on the bottom, uh, which is a bit of a dive site. It's in reasonably good condition. Seems to be mostly intact, and hmm. uh, I think it's in about thirty meters of water. So it's more of an advanced dive, but um, I think I'll hit that this year. Are you keeping your skills up? I know you were a professional diver for a few years, for many years. So do you still have the same degree of skills that you used to have? Well, I, I haven't been practicing my underwater welding or my, uh, <laughs> you know, ox, <laughs> my broco cutting, and I haven't been doing any shot firing underwater, but <laughs> scuba diving, yes, I have. Okay. Do you have a full mask for your own scuba gear? Because I know that's what you always, I mean, a, a helmet for your own scuba gear? No, we don't. Um, but we also dive, you know, with a buddy system. We also, you know, we're not working in, in hazardous environments and, and all that sort of stuff. I mean, the biggest problem you have with a regulator only is if you if you do pass out underwater, you'll drown because there's nothing to hold the regulator in your mouth. Yeah. Um, but if you observe the buddy system, you're generally pretty safe. I mean, I think there's... There's far more scuba divers out there diving than there are commercial divers, and you know, I don't think the numbers of people getting that seriously injured are are too high. Um, but you know, it's commercially you're doing different things. You know, you're diving in extreme conditions. You're diving by yourself. Um, sure, you have a standby diver to jump in and rescue you, but he's he's not there right next to you. He can't you keep a visual distance with you. So it's a very different environment. 
But having said that, if you do have a full face um, scuba mask, you get the advantage of being able to talk underwater, which a lot of the well, the more advanced scuba type masks do, or helmets that are light. They're not commercial, but um, but certainly usable for scuba and communication. So that's pretty cool. And yes, obviously, um, if you do have an issue, at least you can't spit your regulator out by accident. Yeah. I noticed on, on I was watching Sailing Delos, and they had bought some of those, so I was curious if, to, if you were doing that yet. So anyway, that's what I was wondering. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. We've been, we have been spending big on the boat. Oh, you okay. have. Tell us what you've done on the boat. Well, we're getting the standing rigging changed this year. Uh, a solar arch put in. Um, all the through holes changed. I've added even more batteries. Um, we've got an iridium, um, iridium go put in place for the crossing. Because uh, at the end of this season, we'll be crossing over to the Caribbean. Uh, and the standing rigging was part of that as well, because it's um, we had it inspected by a licensed rigger last year for insurance purposes. And the insurance company was very good. Um, they said that, you know, in the med, we're okay with the inspection. But if we want to cross, we need to change it. And we were going to change it anyway. I mean, the boat's 2002, you know, the, sta the standing rigging from all that we understand is original. So it's way past the 10 years. And uh, obviously it's been treated pretty well because um, and it's, it's in pretty good condition. It uh, didn't fail on any points. But it, as the rigger said, there's nothing wrong with it except the age. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know on mine they asked me to, 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 to look at the rigging and uh, my surveyor didn't see anything with the rigging I needed to change. But mine, what, the only rigging on my boat that's ever broken was the one, the bobstay, the one rip piece of rigging that I have swedge fittings on. And it wasn't the swedges that broke, it was just that the, uh, um, the eyes that, that was connected to it just cracked and just broke. Fortunately, I was on the hard when that happened. But uh, in my case, where I have, my hand spliced rigging around a thimble, I feel a heck of a lot safer than, than the end, end pieces that <laughs> than on my bowsprit that broke. So, yeah. right, because it's easier to see them, right? Yeah, it's easy to see, and even if uh, what what could break, a thimble could break, and then I'm still stuck to the cable anyway, even if the thimble broke. Correct. So, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. so where did you? Okay, so from 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 Corsica, did you head back over to Italy, or where did you go from there? So, yeah, from Corsica, we went to Italy. Uh, we actually went straight across to Rome. Um, and if you go to Rome and you want to find a cheap place to stay, um, there's a place near the airport that you can stay in. And um, Sort of on that river? Is that where you're talking about? Fiumicino Airport. Then mm -hmm. uh, there's that, yeah, the, if you look at the runway, you know, about a mile south of that runway is, is a river. And when you come into that river, it's uh, the first marina on the right. Okay, okay. Um, in the river, so actually up the river, because there's another marina around the corner 
on the uh, on the coast side. So I guess it's right up the river on the right then, huh? Yeah, um, and it's a bit dirty, but it's inexpensive. And the, we actually stayed there for two weeks, and not because we wanted to stay in the marina, but we flew back for a wedding. So we left the boat there, flew back for a wedding, and then came back and got back on the boat. Uh, otherwise, we wouldn't have gone there. But we did also enjoy going to Rome and doing some more touristy stuff in Rome that Julie and I had done, but the, the kids hadn't done. All right, so I'm looking at this, and there's a marina on the left as you go up the river, and then there's a big boatyard on the right and with a tiny marina there. Is that the one you're talking about? I think you're looking at uh, the river further south. Okay, okay. Let me. If you go closer oh, to the yes. runway... There's another river there. Okay, I see what you're talking yeah. about. Oh, yeah, there's a, so the bridge, is that an opening bridge? You can't go any much further than that marina, it looks like. Uh, yes, the, the bridge does open, but we didn't go uh, through that bridge because there's that first marina that we went into. So that would be a good place to stop, leave your boat, and do some land travel in, in Italy if you wanted to then. Yeah, Absolutely. It would not be a good place to stop and stay in the marina. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's, uh, you know, the water's pretty pretty mucky and it's, yeah. But it's inexpensive as a result, which is great. And the, the guys that look after the boats, they're really friendly and super nice. So had no issues with security, had no issues with the friendliness of the people there, had no issues with the price, um, but not one of these picturesque marinas would be a great place to pick up and let off crew too, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah right well, absolutely. And, and just a hint on that, if you do that and if you're coming out of the airport, there's two taxi ranks. There's like the taxi rank, which is for uh, Rome, and there's another taxi rank, which is just for Fumicino, which is the suburb where the airport is. Uh, there's different taxi licensing. So, it, you know, you can get a taxi a lot faster and it doesn't cost you anywhere near as much um, to get a taxi from the airport to Fumicino as opposed to the big trip to Rome. So from the marina, you would you drive or would you catch the metro or the train into Rome? How would you get into Rome when you were doing your tourist stuff? Uh, we organized a car. Okay. So we were pretty lazy, yeah. All right. Yeah. I, don't uh, mind, now, I don't mind driving. I just hate parking when I get into the cities. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Especially a busy city like that. Mm -hmm. But um, And the other river, that, which is the actual, the, the Tiber, right? Mm -hmm. The one I was looking at earlier, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's got a number of marinas there on the left-hand side, and you can also get fuel there. Um, well, I'm looking at that hard standing area. That might be le less expensive than Gaeta if I ever want to come over there again because it looks like just a regular boatyard with a s travel lift in there. I haven't. That's one I've never even looked at before. So Right, okay. Yeah, I don't think that they were very expensive anyway. Yeah. Um, well, Gaeta was so, compared to, uh, well, compared to what? So I guess compared to Turkey. So I guess I have everything, everything I do compares to Turkey. You can always go to Tunisia. Yeah, I don't think so. Hey, well, let me ask you a question. Um, on the Schengen Agreement, what are you guys doing to comply with it? Have, have you had to worry about it? Yeah, Chris? okay. So some people really get upset and fret over it and get really nervous. Um, 
there's friends of ours had overstayed their Schengen by 300 days and they left through Frankfurt Airport getting back to Australia. And when the guy, when, when the German immigration guy picked up their passports, he had to go leave his cubicle and go to his main office to count the days up that they were over on their Schengen. And they thought they were going to be in big trouble at this point in time. But then when the guy found out that they were living on a boat, which they owned, um, which they were slowly effectively taking back to Australia, um, it was fine. I mean, yeah. And no one here um, is, no one here I've heard of is getting their passports checked at all for Schengen. So it may be different in parts of Greece uh, at the moment, and I have heard rumours of, of that being the case, and the fact that they're in, in Greece they're introducing a cruising tax this year. It's been coming a long time, I know, and it, it's failed to materialise, and it could fail again, but it seems to be more the case this year. And I also don't know what's going to happen after Brexit because, you know, maybe the authorities are going to have to maybe the authorities are going to be told that they need to be more vigilant with um, foreign boats because obviously British boats are going to be foreign boats. Um, and if they want to also, if they want to avoid VAT, I believe they need to be in the EU on Brexit. Otherwise they, they lose their VAT. Anyway, this is just like, it's, it's crazy and no one really knows exactly what's happening. The Cruising Association, the UK Cruising Association, <clears throat> is definitely working on putting out a whole bunch of information on it. And I think they've got stuff on their website about it. And since I'm not British, I'm less interested in it. But certainly as far as the original question about Schengen, the, the, the people that own boats... Um, most a lot of them are breaking the 90-day Schengen deal, and no one has been caught. No one's checking at this point. Certainly not in in Sicily. Um, now for us, we've been lucky because like since I arrived here, because the first year I was past Schengen well and truly, um, but since we arrived here, I've been able to pick up my Polish passport because of. Um, I was actually born in Poland and grew up in Australia. So, so I've got my Polish passport and the kids have got European passports through Julia as well before that. So I was the only one that was breaking chain. Everybody else was legit. So, you know, Julia's got British and Irish. So that's, so we're fine. Uh, but like I said, no one's been thrown out that I'm aware of as a result of breaking Schengen. Yeah, it doesn't bother me because I'm over there for two months and then I'm gone. But if I ever, you know, and now my wife's retired, we can spend more time over there. But uh, if we ever spend a winter over there, then it's something I'll be worried about. But maybe not. Maybe just don't even worry about it. Shangan's sort of like sharks in the Mediterranean, right? Because yeah. <laughs> everyone knows that there are sharks in the Mediterranean, but, but no one's ever seen, seen one. No one's ever seen one. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, so now you went over to Rome. You hung around Rome for a while. Did you uh, 
go back to your usual haunts then? Did you work your way down to Ponza and and uh, oh yeah Kenyatta? absolutely I mean that's that was always going to be a plan um you know that I mean that was the the very first podcast I did with you that's right I mean, yeah. how many years ago that was was when we chartered that boat um that that got us on you know Ventantine and Ischia and yeah, it was that's a fantastic place for us so yes we did do that we pretty much made our way down to those islands as, as quickly as we could. Um, so that's the island sort of out of Naples Bay. So we didn't even get a chance to go to uh, the first island, which I think is called Palmarola. Mm. Um, but we really love Ponza. I mean, Ponza is great. It's just, you know, that crescent shape. Yep, and it's got those protected bays from the prevailing winds. Yep, yeah. Um, so that's great, and it, interesting place. I mean, you know, all these things have just got so much history on it. It's just like Ventantine with that two thousand year old harbour that was dug out of the rock by the Romans. You know, that's we stayed in there again. That was great. Um, so Ventantine, Ponza, and Ischia. Um, this time we actually went to the castle. You know, I remember after doing that trip, I don't know, was it six years ago now or something? Um, there's, there's that little. This is a this is a castle. It's on a little island connected by a road. It's guessing the host say it's a peninsula on the uh, on the east side, and you can anchor yes. on either side of this yeah. island, but you can't sail from one side to the other. You have to go around this little peninsula to get on the other side. So okay. yeah, correct. And it also gives you that protection. So, you know, if the wind's coming in one way or the other, there's always <clears throat> there's always an area where there's no fetch and you can you can have a good night's sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's good. But, the yeah, the castle itself, I think it costs you a few dollars to go and do a tour of the castle, and it's, it's amazing. Um, so, yeah, and right on the very top there, they've got a, a bar. You can sit out there and drink... Drink your favorite drink whilst uh, enjoying scenery from hundreds of feet up above blue waters in the Mediterranean. Well, if Beautiful. I know if I know you, you probably went up there and you set up your your time lapse photography and sat there for about three hours and looked at the boats going back and forth. <laughs> Close. I actually took the drone this time and flew around uh, the castle with the drone. So um, yeah, I did a video of that. That's um, I'll send you a link to it. Oh, good. Yeah, do that. And I'll put the link in the show notes if you want me to. Yeah, okay. Okay, yeah, good. that's fine. That'd be fun. Yeah, so so those islands, I can't recommend them enough. But islands that are so so close to the mainland, um, they're just beautiful. And there's plenty of anchorages and there's plenty of things to do. We went to Capri as well, but Capri was, uh, it just was too busy. Yeah, yeah. You know, we, we anchored there for enough time to have lunch. It was very rolly. Was this, no was this on the south side? Was this on the south side that you anchored? Or on yeah. the north side? Yeah. Okay. That was the south side. All right. Yeah, because that's always rolly. I anchored there once too, and it was rolly when I anchored there. Yeah. And, but, you know, that peninsula that's right next to Capri, um, that's not so bad. You can get a few marinas in there that are, that are not too expensive. Uh, we went to the large one that's there. Only because we were picking somebody up from um, Naples Airport, 
and there's a there's a huge marina but if you stay in that marina you're like you're in the town of, i mean you're in the suburb of pompeii so you know you can just are you talking about salerno um no so so if you go down okay to, so you're on the other side of the peninsula the north side of the peninsula then yeah, the north side. So you, where you have Sorrento on the tip of that peninsula mm -hmm. and you move towards the um, east, you'll actu you actually hit Pompeii. And Pompeii, there's a big marina right one. Right, I see it right there, yeah. And it's called, uh, well, I'm not sure what the name of the town is, but... Mira uh, de Stabia. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's Castelmi de Stabia. Yep, I'm looking at it. Yeah. Did you visit Pompeii from that marina then? Uh, no, we, we stayed in that marina to pick people up from Naples, but um, we, we've we already visited Pompeii a couple of times, so we didn't bother doing it again. Uh, but if somebody dis, you know, did want to see Pompeii, that's not a bad marina to, to stay in. It's very close. Yeah, I went to uh, Sorrento on the other side of the... Uh of the peninsula and that's where yes. i ended up spending some time was there and not, yeah, not well, Sorrento, excuse I mean, me not sorrento salerno salerno on the other oh, side oh okay okay yeah well so sorrento we did stay in sorrento for a couple of nights or maybe it was one or two nights here um plenty of little marinas in there to, mm -hmm. to tuck into again not much in the way of anchorages and you know very spectacular cliff-based type towns and on the south side, we anchored off Positano, and this was a long time ago. So you probably went around to Positano as well at some point in time. We did go to Positano. We stayed there, um, I think it was overnight. And they've got a mooring field in there now. And it was 10, 10 euro a meter for, for a mooring ball. Um, but with that price, you had a free taxi ride to shore because there's nowhere to put your dinghy. Like in Positano now, even if you went to the anchorage, you can still anchor, but you're a bit further away. Take your dinghy and, yeah, you, you can't take your dinghy ashore. And the jetty is a private jetty, so you can land people, but then somebody has to still take the dinghy back to the boat. <laughs> so... Yeah, I'm zooming in on it. It's sort of a big mooring field there, too. Yeah, a big area around there. Yeah. Changed a lot. But beautiful. Positano is beautiful. Um, we had the most fun on that coast was in Amalfi. Oh, really? I, yeah. I never stopped at Amalfi, so that's not one that I've uh, I've visited. There's a little marina in there where, the, where you call a guy and book yourself a spot in his marina. He actually parks your boat for you. But I think you've heard about that one. Yeah, right? you told me that story. For some reason, that one yeah. comes back to me. All right. So yeah. let's continue on. Did you do a, a straight shot down to the uh, Aeolian Islands from there, or where did you go once uh, you left the uh, Capri area? Um, so after Capri, we did Positano and Amalfi. Mm -hmm. And then we actually um, headed back up north, we went back up to Ponza and so forth because we – we ended up picking up a guest um, and then came back again south. And by this stage, it was quite late in the season, sort of the end of October. All right, Jack, 
We're gonna. I'm gonna stop us right there. You and I are gonna continue to talk, but that's gonna be part two of this ep- this uh, this interview. So. All right. Yeah. Okay. One last thing before we go. If you want to support this podcast, there's two ways to do it. You can become a Patreon, which I appreciate, which would be at patreon.com backslash medsailor. And the second way is to educate yourself by buying some of my audio lessons for preparing for the ASA 101, the 103, or the 104. And those links are at the website, which is medsailor.com. Thanks for listening, and if you have friends that would enjoy this podcast, share it with them. Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing.